Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. On this episode of Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Jerry Sher. Jerry Sher is a two-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. A member of the Directors Guild since 1998, she's completed 22 film and television projects. Up next on Celeb Savant, we've got Jerry Sher. Where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life and how are you doing? <laughs> Thank you, Barrett. Thanks for having me on. Such an honor to be here. Well, I am working away on a big new mental health musical, which kind of follows all of the movies and TV that I've done recently about health and improving your life and having more hope. So it's been a journey and excitement because that's a new foray for me. You know, I've done film and television my whole career and this just poured out of me. I think when something happens like that, you just have to go with it. So we have 15 songs, which are parodies, which means new lyrics. I wrote all the lyrics to very well-known songs. Like there's a manic depressive in there. So instead of manic Monday, we have troubled Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the gist of it. How far along are we with this musical? It's going to be on Broadway. Can you tell us a little bit more? We would love it to be there eventually on Broadway or in Vegas. Uh, We've had a couple of producers from Vegas come out and see the reading the thing is, usually with plays and musicals, you do a regional first, and yeah. then it goes to Broadway. We would like some producers to step up, investors who want to be involved. This is an important piece because it's going to help the homeless people to create more homes for them. And that's what I'm all about, doing something that's going to help society. Basically, this is about a psychiatrist who has a breakdown, and she was very famous. She treated all the stars in Beverly Hills, went, you know, taught at Harvard, had books published, And she had a breakdown and ended up homeless. And now she's treating all the homeless people in tents and cartons with these unusual modalities. It's very, very, very funny and and heartwarming. A piece of each ticket will go to Step Up, which is an organization that provides homes for homeless people. And when I did the, the movie about them seven years ago, they were just in California, but now they're in seven states. So we hope that by having somebody step up and to produce this project, we'll be able to have step up in maybe to 10 more states and provide homes for many more people. Let's rewind. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning of Jerry Sher's career in the movie and television industry. It's interesting that you asked that because I was formerly an art professor, my first career, and then my second career, I was the first woman in the trucking business in the Northeast Corridor. And I was working in the trucking business at a conference, and I met a guy who wrote a screenplay. He was sitting near me, and we got talking about it. And then I realized I really had a good story about this woman in the trucking business. So he helped me and taught me how to write a screenplay. So I started there. I wrote this story about – it was really autobiographical. It was a combination of my art professor and my twig painting and also being in trucking. It was a medical mystery, which is, you know, a book on Amazon – wrote it as a book too. And then I realized, hey, I want to learn why I did this. Like, how did I know how to write a screenplay? And now I want to go on movie sets and learn and apprentice. It was something I was kind of thrown to. And I went on these sets and I just worked for free and I learned everything I could. And then uh, I worked for three different 
guys and I was the producer. And then I, I realized, why should I work for these guys? I should work for my own project. So I decided I would make my own film and I would direct it. And of course they said, you can't do that. Number one, you're a female. Number two, you live in Massachusetts. And number three, you never went to film school. And I said, well, I won't do it. And I did. <laughs> and that's how I got in. So the difference between writing a screenplay, producing, directing, and then doing all three. All of the projects so far that I've done for myself, I write, produce, and direct. I am definitely available for hire, though. If somebody wants me to direct something that they've written, I don't like to produce alone. I have to either direct it also or, or write it also. It just seems that everything that happened to me was the combination of all three. And then you have way more flexibility when you're the writer or any of the producer. So for me, that works. But I'm definitely available for hire if someone, you know, has a great project. My, my criteria is they have to have the money. I have to like the people and I have to like what the movie or, or the play stands for. So the difference between uh, when you direct for yourself compared to directing for others, which do you prefer? Well, if I really love the material and I feel like it has a purpose and it's going to positively influence society, I'm on board. You know, I can definitely direct other people's work. I don't like, I wouldn't do a horror movie. Let's just say that. (laughs) I need it to have some purpose and be positive. I like doing my own stuff because I know it intimately. And if a word has to be changed, I'm right there to change it, you know, and I, I feel like I have more control when I'm the producer, because if, if I know that we don't have enough money for a particular scene and we have to move on, I'm not afraid to do that. Whereas some directors just want to stay on one scene for like, you know, five hours and they don't care if they eat up the money of the budget. Now, a lot of the projects that you've done have been incorporated uh, or have, as you mentioned, been for a purpose. Does that always motivate you to create something that someone and something will benefit from the project? Yes. Usually what happens is I'm approached by someone about a story and I hear an interesting, fascinating, compelling story. And that's what happened with Live Life. I met Dr. Miller, who was the founder of Guided Imagery, and I loved what he was doing with his patients. Mm -hmm. And that's when I heard about Will, the little boy with the brain tumor. I followed him for 10 years, and that's why that 12-part series took so many years. That's when I met you. I was working. But it's on Amazon now, and each story is about 25 minutes. And when it kept growing and growing, it was a documentary at first, but then now I realized I had so much material that I had to make a whole series out of it. So when Andrew Marr contacted me, uh, the publisher who was working on his book about quiet explosions, he wrote the book Tales from the Blast Factory. I read the book and I was fascinated, not just by him, but by the doctor who was curing these guys with PTSD and traumatic brain injury. I'm like, this has to be told. This is something that needs to get out in the world. So usually I feel compelled to give this to the world because it's so important. And that's what happened with Quiet Explosions. And that, that movie is, has been all around the world, yeah. even in Zimbabwe, and is on every platform. And people are really healing from it. So that's we're saving lives. It's amazing that when you can create something, and even if it just has an impact on someone to allow them to have an aha moment or to realize something within themselves, it must make you feel so amazing and grateful to know that you've touched someone in some way. Well, so many people who have mental illness or PTSD, 
after this horrible COVID situation and depression, anxiety, they commit suicide. And so through the film and learning what you can do, um, people are not committing suicide. They're calling me from all over, you know, Paris, uh, London, Canada. Oh, is your name Jerry? Sure. I just saw your movie. I was just about to take my life, but now oh, I wow. know and I won't. I mean, that, that just gives me goosebumps. <laughs> you just said that. Like, for the listeners, uh, you are an Emmy award winning producer and director. Tell us what you won the Emmys for. Sure. I'll be happy to do that. So again, I was helping out society, the Directors Guild of America, which I'm a member of and have been for many years, asked me to do a project combined with Santa Monica TV. And they gave me a charity. The charity was called Step Up and they wanted me to do a six minute, five to six minute piece about it. And that's really difficult about yeah. it. It's hard yeah. to make it all short. That's powerful and compelling rather than an hour and a half or two hour movie. They gave me, they worked with Santa Monica TV. They gave me the cinematographer and the editing and not, no one was paid. So I interviewed the people at Step Up and I found the right character, which was Leroy, the, the man who had been homeless for 16 years. And when Step Up came along and gave them their, his home, he completely revamped and changed and became a different person. And actually seven years later now, I've followed up with him and now he's back in college getting a degree in mathematics. Wow. Amazing. He's like a math genius. When I did that show, that's what I won the Emmy for. and. That can be seen on my website, jerryshure.com, so anyone can see that. on The tab is Emmy, the Emmy page. You know, I love the work that you do and the impact that you have. Now, you've mentioned that you're doing something new with the musical. How is it different creating a musical compared to doing something for television or movies? Well, I tell people that the only thing they have in common when you write something, a, a novel or a screenplay or, or a musical, is words. But everything else is different. It's, it's an entirely different situation because in a movie, you know, you can do the scene over and over. So you have, you know, you can go back and fix it and you can work with the actors and then change the actors and do it a different way. But in a, in a play, in a theater play on stage, once they start for the audience, that's it. They go through the whole hour, hour and a half and there's no stopping. So. Everything has to be very concise and very cohesive. And you have to give people in the audience highs and lows and drama and humor, all of the emotions. You want them to feel something. You want them to, when they get out, to turn them so that they have something to think about and something to talk about and discuss. So that's my goal, really, that I want to make an impact on people that are sitting in the audience uh, when they come out of a, a, a stage play. Of course, when you're having it on on the stage, you have to have good singers, you know, yeah. excellent singers. You don't need that in, in, in a movie. You just want good actors. So there are quite a few differences, but this is exciting for me. It's, it's a new venue. It's, you know, as my art background is coming in because I'm figuring out what the stage will look like and what yeah. the colors and the texture and the lighting. And you don't do that in, in, in TV and movies. I mean, the cinematographer is there and he creates the shot with the lighting. So it's a whole different ball game. When you started writing the musical, was it a surprise to you that all of a sudden this was coming out? <laughs> well, what happened was, you know, during COVID, I was in a writer's group for two years. And okay. every week we'd on Zoom and we would help each other and people would 
say, okay, I'm writing this, I'm writing that, everybody look at it, give me notes. So one woman who I'm friendly with and my co-writer, she had originally 30 years ago done a one-woman show about this psychiatrist. And then she said, oh, I want to make a film, I want to make a TV series, I'm not sure what to do. So she had all these drafts, and I read everything. And the minute I read it, I saw the play right in my head. I saw it on stage, and I went with her and I told her, listen, this is a musical. It needs music. It needs, you know, some some dancing and choreography. So we got together, put our heads together. We decided, you know, to write it. And um, that's kind of how it happened. So I was inspired because it was about homeless people. And I had just spent years interviewing all these homeless people for Step Up. And I knew the background story. So I was able to infuse these characters with the real background stories of real people, which to me is so important. And that's really how it happened. Is this story based on fact or sort of fact and fiction? So the stories are based on these characters that you've interviewed in real life, but it's sort of an amalgamation of both. It's definitely an amalgamation of both. But interestingly enough, after we were... 90% 90% finished. We saw an article in the LA Times on a weekend about a psychiatrist who is going into the homeless communities and now treating people, a regular guys, you know, not that I had a breakdown or living yeah. there. But, and then I thought, well, this is really amazing that this is happening. Yeah. So, you know, there is going to be some truth to this in the, in the long run. You know, there's always a element or a part of the story that is, relevant you know to the world and society and And mental illness what can be more prevalent than that right now exactly well it does and and it can happen to anyone because one of the real people that i interviewed at step up was a doctor an md in detroit and he had a practice with his father and you know they did great because they had all the gm general motors people and then gm closed up and they lost their whole practice and the father died and this guy just went off the deep end he started drinking and drinking because he had nothing left he, he wasn't doctoring anymore and he had he really didn't know what to do so he went out to la came out to la where it would be warmer he ended up living out of dumpsters you know behind hollywood boulevard and became homeless and and he was homeless for quite a while and then step up found him and said we have a home for you anyway that's one of my characters is based on that, but it's true. Like anyone can, be, it can happen to anyone basically. Yeah. Now you've been, been in the industry for a number of years, uh, doing all types of genres. And is there anything on your bucket list, bucket list that you have yet to produce or write or direct that is still there to be done? Interesting that you asked that because the book that I wrote called The Twig Painter, where, where I originally got into this business, I would love to make that into a movie someday. And, you know, that's a big budget. And I, I had to have like a repertoire first and credentials, but now I have that. So yeah. it's just about finding the money. You know, once you have somebody who believes in you, who's philanthropic, who has the funding, then you can do all these things. And the twig painter is a very important story because it was a medical mystery about the cure for HIV AIDS. And again, that just poured into me. The universe gives me this information and when I came up with the theory, a lot of doctor friends of mine said I was crazy. But then it turned out that my theory is really being was really being worked on. So I think a lot of information I get from other sources in the ether uh, are important, and I'm supposed to I'm supposed to take the the breadcrumbs and follow them. 
It's interesting you say that because I interview a lot of, uh, for the podcast, I've interviewed a lot of singers. Obviously, it's very different um, writing a song compared to writing a script. But they all, they often say that when they write a song, it's like they the words and the melody and everything just pours through the ether through them. So it's it's obviously a creative person's process of just allowing to be open and allowing to be the funnel for those words, songs, stories to come through. Well, it's true because honestly, I had never written songs before. And the fact that I was able to take, you know, a major song, you know, like a prayer or satisfaction or any of these that are in the show and just completely do new lyrics that worked was astounding to me. You know, I just said, where did this really come from? But I, (laughs) you know, I go with it and, and I'm embracing it. Let's put it that way. So the songs uh, that are in the the musical, are they, so you mentioned they like popular songs with new words. So is it the same sort of melody just with new words? Yes. A parody is the same exact song, but all new lyrics. Okay. A derivative is a song with different chords, sounds like, but you don't have to pay the rights. So, you know, we might end up with some derivatives if we don't get the rights to the real song. But we have like Puff the Magic Dragon. We we also have, you know, songs like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, which actually was written by Mozart. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, because... A lot of homeless people, you know, they're outside at night laying down, looking up the stars. Yes. And the stars are what, what, what is light, lighting them up and giving them light. So there was a connection there. It's always a connection that comes to me of how I pick a song. And London Bridges, which is now public domain, uh, take the keys and lock him up because we have a guy who was locked up for 25 years. So that's how the songs came about. Like I told you, Manic Monday, you know, with yeah. Depressive, but now it's Troubled Tuesday. Uh, yeah. We, I get inspired by, if I hear something, it might be the lyrics, it might be the melody, whatever. But I guess, I guess that's just, again, being open and being in the moment to allow those breadcrumbs, whether it's for a book, for a movie, for a song, for a play, it's just about being present. Because I suppose if a person is worrying all the time about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, or how things are going to work out, those breadcrumbs, they won't register them and they won't realize them in this day-to-day movement, I suppose. Right. I mean, a lot of people don't do this and don't have yep. this. Openness. Uh, it's That's for sure. You have to be in a certain mental way to take in the information that's given to you. There there aren't a lot of people that do it this way. I do, but... Um, I feel very fortunate, you know, that I've had three distinct careers, but each one is like a stepping stone and helps you with the next. And of course, the trucking business taught me everything about producing. And that's why I'm a Cracker Jack producer, because I worked with the Teamsters and I had these budgets and everything came down to the pennies. And that's just how a film works. And I suppose that also allowed this whole thing with um, the equal pay and men versus women, et cetera, et cetera. I suppose being one of the only women, as you mentioned, in the trucking business allowed when you got to the filming industry, which was very male dominant, I'm sure at the time, when they all said, oh, you couldn't do it because you in this country, you or that state and you haven't been to film school. It was like, well, I can actually. And you didn't let that energy take you down and not allow you to move forward. 
You're so absolutely right. The fact that I was like the only and first female in the trucking industry got me sensitive to the fact that I could do that in any field. And it's definitely male oriented in the entertainment business. Yeah. And still is. And very few women are recognized and make the money that men do. So that never bothered me at all because I'm so used to that with trucking. It, it was a stepping stone. There's no doubt about it. You know, creating the budgets how to move the money around, how to have an organizational platform. I mean, these are all very important things. And I'm sure I'll learn new situations in the musical because I already have. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like everything we do is a compilation uh, to get us to the next thing. So you have to be open and just take it when it comes yes. and embrace it. And it's interesting you say that because so many people stay stuck in the same workspace environment because they're too scared to move into something that they're passionate about. So they stay stuck in this because, okay, I need to make money. I need to pay the bills. I need to be feed the family. So let me just stay here for the rest of my life instead of being open and then going into new careers and new levels and new interactions. Well, yes, that's true. But I think those people that get stuck or stay stuck, they don't really have the passion. If you don't have like a real huge amount of passion inside you, burning you to do the next thing or to go to take a leap, it won't happen yeah. because it's safe where you are. You know, you stay safe, you stay maybe boring, but it's safe. Um, I've never been, that, I've never been that kind of person, but it has to be a burning passion. I yeah. mean, I have such passion for this. I mean, there's so many difficult things that happen in the movie business. There's so many ups and downs and you can go crazy, but you, you just keep going because it's so exciting and <laughs> you have that passion and you can't stop. It's like adrenaline. You know what yep. I mean? It's like serotonin. I know exactly what you mean because every time I do an interview for the podcast, I get so excited. I'm so passionate. And then when I'm finished with each interview, I'm like running around the room because I've had such an amazing interaction and communication and discussion with whomever. And I've interviewed now since nearly 85 different artists, actors, singers from around the world, every country, you name it, different genres, different, you know, life stories. And I, I love hearing each of each of every stories. You mentioned about the budget and the people believing with you and how hard is it in the movie world, entertainment world, to build up their budget? There's no set process. It's very varied on every project. But that is the hardest part of my job, the hardest part of any job. I mean, even Clint Eastwood, he couldn't get the money for Airwood Jim. I, I was with him once and he was telling me. It's very difficult and it's the hardest part. So, you know, you have to go outside the box. You can't necessarily find the money that you would normally get in, in a regular way. And usually it's somebody who really cares about the subject matter and they want to see you succeed. And that's how we find those philanthropists or people, or maybe somebody needs a big tax write-off and we have a 501c3 umbrella, or maybe somebody wants us to do this play in South Africa. And so they want to be the executive producer or the producer. So they give us the money and we come and do the play in South Africa. I mean, Nothing is not possible. Everything is possible. So, for instance, my musical director, uh, Ricky Pajot, 
he did the reading for me. And the next morning, he left for Vietnam to work with Christina Aguilera on two songs. He was there from, he left on Saturday and he came back on Tuesday. So that's not to say that we wouldn't go to South Africa if somebody there said, you know, I want this play to happen and I'm going to be involved. You have to just really be open to think outside the box. You know, I've gotten money from various sources, never a usual way, usually. It's always something unusual. But it's the hardest part of our job, and it's not pleasant, and I don't like it. And I just wish that a philanthropist would come along and say, I really love your work. I believe in what you're doing. Here's a pot of money, and we're going to make all these projects and help this charity or these homeless people or, you know, we're going to do this for mental health. So I'm open to just about any way, shape, or form. Another way is in-kind donations. A lot of people have the resources of what we need, uh, but they, like, say there's a guy who owns a theater, say in South Africa or New York or Boston or wherever, and they say, I want to donate the theater. You won't even have to pay for it when we put this play up. So that's called an in-kind donation. Okay. And then usually, you know, can use it for tax purposes. Jerry, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? I would love everyone in these countries to go to quietexplosions.com. It's plural, quietexplosions.com. And everything is on there to click a platform. And Live Life, Awaken Your Inner Power, is in the UK and is also in German and in um, other languages, Spanish. People can watch those that series. I would love people to put a review up because Amazon goes by the, the uh, numbers yes. <laughs> and analytics. So if they can even put two sentences or one word, you know, this is great, this is whatever, or just a rating, that would really help us tremendously. And I'm always available. So jerryshur.com, which is my website, has all of my contact information. It's J-E-R-R-I-S-H-E-R. -E and if anybody wants to get involved with this musical in any way, shape, or form, by all means, contact me. I was in the UK recently for Christmas in London, and I saw some performers, and they've already been writing me and saying, here's my information, you know, if you, if you do the play in London. So... What I like to say, too, is that you need to have a lot of love in your life. I am surrounded by great family and great children and grandchildren, and that's what really makes me positive and keeps me going. So if you have a lot of love in your life, you'll be healthy. And I am very healthy, and I stay really positive all the time. I don't let any negativity come into my world. I don't watch any news. I don't read any newspapers. I have to keep positive so I can never let negativity in my brain. I love that. So as Jerry says, love in your life and keep focusing on the positive.